0: Welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. Today we will be discussing completing a painting, how to tell when it's finished, how to pick a title, and how to prepare it for sale. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So what can you tell us about your process and when you're looking at a painting how do you tell when it's when it's finished when it's time to walk away and stop messing with it (laughs)
1: uh yeah sometimes it's a moving target honestly I mean um I think most artists have had the experience of thinking something was done and then uh leaving it for the day coming back the next day and saying no you know that's that's not finished look I sometimes you just need a fresh look and come back in and you see that some area is really not working or something so but you know there's a there's a point yes when um i look at it and i i feel that it's complete and i can go into that in a little bit more detail too but it, i just want to say it's it's a very um subjective thing and i think each of us has our own standards for what when we reach that point. Some people prefer a very uh, sort of rough or very fresh surface with uh, not a lot of refinement. And so they may, they'll have a different standard for what the finished look should be. Um, But I also want to say before I get into any detail about that, there's, there's something, there's sometimes a pressure, an outside pressure, to say you need this painting to be done because you have a show coming up or someone's waiting to see it and this is can really be a difficult situation to be in because you you have one little voice saying hurry up and get me done and the other one is saying let me evolve in my own time and so sometimes it's it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult balance to to deal with a situation like that. And the best situation, of course, is to let it evolve and not push it.
0: Uh, this was one of the things that, that I struggled with personally when I was taking art classes is a lot of times I would feel like a piece of work was done and the teacher would say, no, it's not done. You need to go back and work more on this. Right. And you know, sometimes it, it came out better and sometimes it came out worse. And it was always very frustrating for me trying to <laughs> trying to figure that out.
1: Yeah, I mean that that is such it's such a common universal typical situation to be in and I think when you're a student the instructor is trying to help you see uh where areas that aren't working. So the more mature your own vision is, you know, the only one telling you that is your own voice, your own head. <laughs> uh but that certainly it's it's something that you learn how to listen to in your own voice what what your own preferences are. So sometimes with an instructor, their idea of what is a finished painting can be pretty different than your own. And it's a, it's, it's part of the whole development of your own personal voice to know when that point is. I, I sometimes tell students in my workshops that they may they may arrive at a finished painting sooner when they're on their own than they would in a workshop because as they develop their own idea of what that might look like, it could be something that is not as uh, as much paint on it as i tend to teach so it's all part of you know you're kind of maturing as an artist and deciding what it is you want and you know that's a it's a long road really <laughs> so you try different things um, so um there's a there's a cycle that happens though is, i think for everyone is this idea of it's it's almost done and so or it's you know, I'm I'm almost there, and then the next day, uh, no, I'm not there at all. And then maybe it's a few more days until you feel that it's done. So specific things, you know, that that I would look for in asking myself if it was done. It's it's a form of self critique, right? I mean, which which needs to be an ongoing process. But there's something at the end where you really have to to sit and contemplate what you've got and. Um, so self critique uh, is not it's it's meant to be quite a, a a positive but objective assessment of what you're doing. So it's not uh, a beating up on yourself in any way. It's just what do I need? What's working, and what isn't working? So for my own work, I look for a certain complexity of the surface and the color. Like that's why I build up a lot of layers because I like. I like that interaction on a very um, up close level. There's a there's a subtlety up close to the work and there's also a strength from a distance. Uh, so I, I try to look at the work both, you know, my face a few inches from it and also from across the room. And I'm looking for a strong composition, something that has some sort of impact from, from a distance. And uh, one of the downfalls of a lot of work is that it doesn't have a strong enough value contrast or value distribution in terms of dark and light. And that's something I often find myself tweaking at the end because I will become so used to looking at a painting that I don't really perceive that there isn't enough light and dark. It's all kind of middle value. And so one of the things that kind of a last step for me is Maybe I'll take uh, some white paint and go over a light area and brighten it up, or increase the depth of a dark area. And um, <laughs> the other thing, there is another thing that when when you know, I'm finishing a painting, I I do like a lot of refinement in my work. I like to kind of tweak things and play with things. And oh, if I put just a little mark here, will it? There's a point where everything you do is kind of making it better, actually. So. <laughs> So I'm kind of playing with those last few touches, and sometimes, uh you hear the advice that you you shouldn't do this. Like you should just step away and let let it be. And I think when you're when you have a pretty clear idea of what you want in the work, that sort of refinement is okay. But what and it's good. I mean, I I enjoy that part. But what I have to be careful of is that I don't be, let the painting lose its energy. Like there is an energy to roughness and rawness, and I don't want to finesse it to the point that uh, it loses that. So that's another thing I'll look at at the end. Have I have I gone over the edge there? Do I need to go back in and just rough some things up a little bit? And and in the end, there's just sort of a presence to the work. It doesn't. Um, I can look at it as a whole. I'm not distracted by bits and pieces of it, and that's a good sign for me that it's done. It has. It just has a um, a whole aspect. I, I don't know how else to explain it. It's sort of a presence to it, and so that that's a a good sign to me. There's nothing that I want to change about it. There's nothing that I want to take out, and I don't see the need to put anything back in. So I've gone through a sort of editing process of taking out what is unnecessary and putting back in certain things that really enhance the final painting so it's quite a process that's a lot
0: <laughs> yeah so, something that, that you said that was really interesting to me was this idea of uh it having both kind of complexity at different ranges when you get really close to the painting and far away right um that there's you know a a sense of completion within the whole painting at various depths and various levels mm-hmm. uh, almost like a, a a fractal relationship you know oh. where uh something has external complexity and internal complexity
1: oh well, yeah that's that's a good way to put it i and i think what that comes from up close at least in my work is the layering process and also some freshness to the paint and i I've had a a gallery owner once tell me that that he recognizes artists when they come into the gallery, uh, as opposed to maybe you know other clients. But artists, he says, come up and put their nose about two inches from the different paintings that they like, because <laughs> because there's that there's that interest in oh how exactly was this done or uh, what can I see very close. Whereas I think a lot of people just i don't know that aren't quite as involved in the process themselves would probably stand a few feet away and look at it and that might be it but um i i'm always aware of that that viewer that wants to look really closely
0: yeah yeah that whole trying to inspect the uh the marks themselves and determine how the marks were made what tool was used here and
1: mm-hmm. or even just admiring yeah, and it. You that, know? i think
0: that that goes that goes that goes back too. I mean, you look at uh, you know, the Mona Lisa, we still don't know how exactly it was right. painted. You right. know, we have we have a word for it, but we don't we don't know what this technique actually was, you know.
1: And when, you know, when I am in a museum or something, I love looking up close at Paintings from the past, it's, let's just say a Van Gogh, and you get up really close to a Van Gogh. Well, as close as they'll let you, anyway. But and you yeah. look, at, and you look, and you see. Oh, he made that mark. I can see, I can see where his brush went, and it's very intimate. It's yes. it's a strong connection to that person in that moment. It's really pretty magical.
0: And and the the marks are so pronounced. It's almost like the inverse of what I was talking about with the Mona Lisa. With Van Gogh, the marks are just so present. You know, it's such a, a a visceral part of his work is the right is the marks themselves,
1: right? So, you know, so that's something like I said that I think about. I don't want that. I don't want to kill that. So there's a certain rawness in places where you really feel that you really feel the mark making itself. Um, it I just it just brings a a beautiful um, energy to the work and at the same time my own aesthetic is is pretty refined because i like i like a quietness to the work actually kind of a a stillness and so i don't have a lot of raw edges but some so and another another thing that i do as i'm finishing up a painting and i've gotten to the point where i say okay i believe this is done And ideally, I'm going to live with it for a little while and put it somewhere that I can see it. And there's something about glancing at a painting as you're coming in and out of your studio, or maybe you've put it up in your house somewhere to evaluate it. And that quick glance is often really informative to know, is there something that's kind of snagging the eye that you you know, like any sort of compositional flaws or problems can really pop out at you when you're not staring at it, which is kind of funny. It, it's something about you give it a little distance. Um, another thing people do is, uh, I do, sometimes I have a mirror that's not a little tiny mirror, but, you know, fairly substantial piece of mirror glass, and I'll hold it up to the painting. And what that does is the painting appears farther away. And again, there's sort of a consolidation of it. And you're seeing it in reverse. It's quite different. And that's a really good way to see if there are places that seem, um, I don't know, unaddressed somehow or unfinished. Uh, Another trick lots of people use is taking photos. And sometimes you can put that into your black and white mode to see value contrast issues. In straight on regular mode, I often find I will take the photo, look at the photo on my computer, and something will pop out at me just because of that different format or different distance on it or something. And uh, there's um, (laughs) something I sort of think of as the Facebook test, like maybe I'll start to post something. And... And as soon as it posts, you know, a painting I just finished, as soon as it goes up, I look at it and I go, oh, no, oh, no, that's coming right down. (laughs) So it's like all of a sudden seeing it through someone else's eyes and, uh, you know, it's just like, oh, delete, delete, and then go back to the studio. (laughs) So that's a very contemporary way of <laughs> evaluating your work, I guess. So um
0: what what about the light itself? Do you put put the painting in in different areas mm-hmm. to see how how light plays across the surface and right, yes. maybe even take it outside and look at it in natural light or Yeah,
1: I definitely like to do that whenever it's possible. Um and it's really nice to take it into the house and if you have your studio in the house, take it to another room and just put it um in a different setting and a different light, like you say, and uh, yeah, it can. That that to me, when it's satisfying in different lights, that is a really good test of is it is it working? Because you never know, of course, where the painting is going to end up. And if the painting, some of my older work, I I would become discouraged because it needed a lot of natural light in order to work. It was rather middle value, somewhat dark, and. I would think, uh, I don't know where this is going to end up. And I'd seen them occasionally hanging in public places where there wasn't enough light on them. And they were disappointing to me. So I try to, I think with my current work, which is higher contrast, I think it works better in different types of light.
0: Have you ever had somebody who purchased a painting, uh, maybe not regret their decision, but not feel quite as in love with it or... Say anything to you about it that well, I just can't get the light to work right mm. or has that ever been a struggle for you it's... or are people just too polite for that?
1: <laughs> for whatever reason, uh no. I I can't think of any time when, when I knew about it. I mean, maybe there was something that happened through a gallery that I wouldn't have known about, but no. It I don't know.
0: Well what I'm what I'm really kinda of wondering is just how much of this is Is more of a a personal kind of over criticism of the way that the work works, you know, versus the perception of other people.
1: Oh, yeah, you're probably right about that. I I think there's no one more sensitive to how a painting looks when it's displayed than the artist. (laughs) We're we're very usually very sensitive to that, how it's lit, what's around it, Um, and you know, there's there's definitely a part of selling paintings that you you release it you somebody could take it home and stick it in a dark corner and hang it upside down and and you'd never know so <laughs> <laughs> it's uh there's a definite point of hey it's out of my hands um whatever happens happens and that's part of you know selling your work so
0: yeah yeah i, always, I mean it's a little bit different when you are selling it to you know a, a business or a hospital or something where it's going to be in public view and you can see how it's lit and how it's presented and mm-hmm. And then you got to bury that deep, deep down when you don't like it. Exactly.
1: (laughs) So, um, yeah, and and I always, uh, as part of finishing a painting, there is a a feeling of letting it go. Like, okay, I'm done with you. Go out in the world. (laughs) And I know some people have trouble releasing their work and, uh, you know, wanting to hang on to it. And I, I would say early on that was true. And now I'm I'm really very cold about it, actually. It's like, it's done, it's done. Uh, and there's a point where it it goes into a box, it's going to get shipped off, or I drop it off somewhere. And it's not like I linger. I have long lingering goodbyes or anything. It's, I think I'm always thinking about what's next. And I want to finish each piece. Mm-hmm. And I want to finish each piece in a very good way till I'm totally satisfied. And then I let it go. And um,
0: well, and you have to be in love with the process more than the individual piece. That's right. You know, it's got to be more about you know the creating of the work than than the work itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I mentioned this I think in an earlier podcast when I have an exhibit I like to I like to look at the work as it's all hanging together and it it has a, a another level it has sort of a a story to it that is uh, more than any one piece. So I think that I'm aware of that, too. When I'm I'm done with something, it's only part of the body of work that I'm working on. And one other thing that I I do when I'm finishing up a piece and evaluating it is I look at it alongside or in relation to some of the other uh, current work or finished work in my studio. And what I'm looking for there is is there a relationship, a strong relationship between the work, but also uh, a different a different take on something? I, you know, there there's um, something in the new work that I'm finishing up that I've discovered or learned or I'm trying out. And so I want each work to progress the idea that I'm dealing with, not repeat it. And sometimes when I look at the last few paintings I've done, I have a I have a cringe moment when I think oh they're too much alike or something, mm. but sometimes that's a o- that's okay because it takes a while to work out an idea, and maybe in that case I wouldn't exhibit them all together. I would do different things with them or something. So um, I like you know when I put together a body of work, I like there to be uh, different different things going on in each one, although also strongly
0: related. Sure. So, does that affect how you uh, present the work in the show, or how you title the work, or it does? Um, yeah. Anything else that goes into the process?
1: Yeah, a lot of times a an exhibit is hung by someone else, so you're not really in charge of how it goes together. But when I do hang my own work, um, in in a situation where I would be in charge of it, I would I would uh, look for relationships, and I would also ask for advice or other pairs of eyes because I think we we can lose sight of what's uh, what really actually works together <laughs> because we're too close to it as artists and I can say every single time I've I've uh, arranged an exhibit of my own work uh another person I would always want someone else involved and it's surprising sometimes somebody'll just say oh actually you know this these two paintings look much better together than the ones you had put together, and and then all of a sudden I'll see a relationship that I didn't see before. So it's very interesting to actually arrange that work when you have an exhibit, but when you deliver it to a gallery, they they pretty much <laughs> do it, and, sure. and it's it's always it's always good. They're pros, um, and as far as titling, you know that's a that's quite a topic, and I think there's. Um, yeah, I like to to work in series basically, but sometimes I use a series title, but not usually. I usually have individual titles, but the titles do reflect something about my ideas and my sources and what I'm thinking about. So um that's that's another part of finishing the work uh, for me
0: anyway. So how do you decide on a title?
1: It it really does come from my my source ideas i guess and and for years i have been titling my work with place names like Ballon Glen or you know some city in New Zealand or something you know and it wasn't that i had that place in mind as i necessarily that specific place in mind as i began the painting or as i was working on it but there was something towards the end that brought this particular place that i'd been to strongly to my mind, and that's where the title would come from. Some aspect of some experience in the landscape would lead me to a title. And so they were typically just place names or maybe something like, you know, bog lands or something like a feature of the landscape. And I think recently that's shifted a little bit because the work uh, has gone into a, a new direction where I don't have that specific stuff coming at me as much. I'm I'm tr- looking for something more abstract or universal. And so <laughs> I'm now faced with a a challenge of coming up with titles that are a little more ambiguous and uh, abstract really. And so it it it's a new challenge for me and and I do look sometimes to poetry. Uh, I love the work of um Seamus Heaney and John O'Donohue, two Irish poets and sometimes i'll i'll look for a beautiful word or something or some evocative phrase in a poet in a poem but most of the time they just come out of my head and they're um i have a certain standard like i don't want them to be too descriptive and i don't want them to be sort of flowery or very emotional they i like sort of a straightforward kind of um i don't know <laughs> Sure. <laughs> straightforward title.
0: Some, something that allows people to read something into the work, but not too much into the work.
1: Right. Right. I, I never want to dictate what what somebody should be getting out of it. That, and I think with abstraction, this is it's a pretty big issue because it, you know, with with a more representational work, <clears throat> the imagery itself might. Lead to a more obvious interpretation, although there's plenty of work where it's also ambiguous. And I, I think any title on any painting, it it is a very interesting process because it it adds another dimension to it. Um, if you you know look at art over the over the years, there's a lot of untitled work as well, and so that's certainly an option. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, personally, like, aside from the kind of practical concerns with inventory and, and, uh, you know, speaking about the work and having people know what you talk about, I kind of feel like untitled work is a a bit of a cop out. I feel like you need to put something onto it. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, um, I have to tell you about a great debate that happened in one of my workshops. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll call it a debate rather. Well, it was a heated discussion even. I mean, people were, were quite worked up about this and the topic came up about titling abstraction
0: oh god and i just chose sides in this (laughs) (laughs) you did (laughs) if only you were there (laughs) half half the audience is going to be so mad at me (laughs) (laughs) anyway um
1: one of the artists said that she felt very strongly that abstraction should not have a title and and it's a legitimate view that this abstraction is very very open to interpretation and um as i said many many abstract artists of the past have have not used titles and or they might have a very very vague title like um abstraction in red or something uh i remember when i was in college and one of my art instructors sort of sarcastically said to me something like that because i was trying to think of a title and he said Something like, oh, well, you could always call it composition in blue, you know? <laughs> I thought, so so that type of title, though, could have its use, like it would be useful for inventory, but it wouldn't suggest anything to anyone other than a very straightforward description of what they're looking at. Anyway, this artist was pretty, pretty adamant about this. Like it was uh, clear in her mind that you should not give a title. And then other people chimed in and said... Um, kind of what you just said like well, but that 's too easy, or they want to give the viewer something to hang on to some some way in, and I think I think it's um it 's quite a challenge uh to find that right word, that right phrase that gives the viewer a little peek into your own view of the work or your process, but it doesn 't shut down their own response and
0: I don't sure I have
1: to say I don't think I'm always that good at it I struggle with this and I think a lot of people do
0: well you said something earlier that I found interesting you said that you were kind of looking more to poetry um Mm -hmm. and and I I think that that's an important insight because um you know personally I think that the best titles have a a bit of a cadence you know they kind of roll off the tongue you know we were talking earlier Mm -hmm. about the Mona Lisa. You know, or uh, Starry right. Night. You know, they kind of have this da 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 da. You know, cellar door. Yeah, yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, I I think that uh, it's I mean for visual artists that that may be a challenge. You know, to 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 look at more of the the lyrical structure of, of a title. Um, but I think that when you have a title that really flows off the tongue, you know, the messy studio. You know? <laughs> I, <laughs> oh yeah, I think it helps. <laughs> I think it helps to have something that's that's got kind of a bit of a cadence to it. Yeah, oh, you certainly yeah, gonna that, find that more in poetry than than other sources.
1: Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I guess I'm often drawn to sort of one word titles that, you know, probably don't have that quality. And and yet when you say that, I think, well, maybe there's another word I could add to some of those titles that would just fill it out a little bit more or, you know, add that slightly lyrical quality to it. And And you're right that... The ones I've taken from poetry are, they definitely have that more lyrical quality. Sometimes even an entire phrase will strike me and seem suited to the painting in some way. So uh, I know a lot of people use li- um, music lyrics as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, I, th- I think a lot of artists struggle with this, honestly, to because we're visual artists and you know even if we write and i i like to write but my writing tends to be more um
0: straightforward sure practical
1: essay type writing i mean i write mm-hmm. a blog which has you know a lot of thought put into it but it, the the actual flow of the words may be more straightforward than uh, poetry so yeah it's it's an interesting aspect of finishing up the work. And I think there's often a moment of panic when you think, I've got everything done here except a title. And I also <laughs> I also know that there are many artists that work with a title, where they have something in mind that guides them through the work. This could be a word or a phrase or an idea put into words. And it's something that really has never worked for me. But I, I know it, it does for many people so that's another another approach to titles is that you kind of start with that and and let it guide your work
0: and then you have kind of a mantra that's flowing through it
1: exactly yeah if I tried to do that it would it would keep changing so
0: <laughs> sure and it, and it seems like to me the the temptation with doing that might be also to to implant the word into the mm-hmm. work somehow and uh, I know that some artists do this i it always turns me off when i see writing in a piece of work
1: yeah and that's that's another interesting thing because
0: here i go taking yeah. sides
1: again <laughs> i you know i think it can definitely work but for me it usually works better when it's somewhat obscured like maybe after you looked at the painting for a bit you'd see it and it's not you know really that obvious when you see it but uh, there's a lot of writing that goes on in abstraction for sure. Maybe it's buried under a few layers. And I know mm-hmm. of artists that that write rather personal things into their work and then sort of obscure them. so it's it's kind of a, a buried idea within the painting, and perhaps something of that would come out in the title. So yeah, there's lots of different different approaches to it for sure. and I think um, I think what titles really do when you use them is they they allow the viewer to engage in a different way. I mean, and if you don't title it, you've not given the viewer that opportunity to at least take a step into the work and get inside your own mind a little bit. And that's, that's you know, it's part of the communication, I guess. Um, so it, it's it's a rather complicated thing, honestly.
0: Well, we're getting pretty close to the end, but are there any other kind of finishing touches, things that you do to wrap up a painting and really prepare it to to send it out there in the world?
1: Definitely. Yeah, once once it's gone through this whole uh, self-critique phase and, you know, it's done okay, it's going somewhere, I'm quite particular about making sure there's no little dings or scratches on the edges or things with cold wax, medium on wood panels, sometimes you get little chips or something along the edge of the painting because the cold wax, when it dries, can be somewhat brittle. And it's only really a problem on those edges. So I'll take a wax crayon and go around and just make sure there's nothing, you know, somewhere where it's an obvious little flaw on the edge. And so, I, and I, I just um, people treat cold wax painting surfaces differently. I I tend to just kind of buff it just lightly with a, a paper towel, a, a lint, lint-free paper towel or, or a cotton rag and leave it at that. Other artists like to put an extra layer of cold wax on top, which um, is not necessary for the preservation of the painting. The the wax is embedded throughout the painting and it, it does that job, uh, but you can, you know, depending on your medium or how you approach it, there's probably some varnishing step or cleaning up step at the end and then of course you have to photograph it and this is another big topic i don't i kind of have my way of photographing and i don't it works for me i don't really consider myself very strong in the specifics of how to do this so and maybe someday it would be interesting uh, for me to interview somebody who knows a lot about photography because it's like a lot of things you sort of figure out what works for you and you do it right but i have um lights in my studio that are adjusted for um, daylight spectrum and I just photograph them on the wall in my studio with a good camera and I take I take a raw file so that holds all the data and I store that on a hard drive so it's not going to disappear if my computer crashes or something and then I I also make a jpeg and pretty much I just I just want one one good photograph of every painting and I'll take more usually in at some point but that I make sure I have that one good one and then mm-hmm. um, so and it doesn't take long if like I have a body of work I can just keep putting them up on the wall and, and taking that I have a tripod and a, and a good camera so I do that and then uh, you know there's usually some sort of hard, hardware on the back <laughs> that most galleries want you to wire the work and so I do that and that's about it you know and then whatever packaging and shipping arrangements are needed so that's it and and i'll wrap the painting too if it's i put uh, plastic around it if it's going in my car and if it's being packed for shipping that's whatever is required usually a piece of foam over the top and like that really light thin foam and then bubble wrap with the bubbles not pressing down on the painting (laughs) i think I think that is a, a a little tip that's quite helpful. I did have a painting once that I put the bubble's face down on the painting and it was hot out and uh, the gallery mm-hmm. reported some slight indentations in the surface. Once cold wax is really cured, it's very tough. I mean it's very it's not a fragile surface, but you have to wait till it's fully dry and like a lot of artists, sure. when the work goes to a show, it may not be fully dry. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Like, uh, you know, that takes a while. So um, it's dry to the touch, but not fully cured. So um, anyway, that's that's pretty much the steps that I can think of. Oh, and, you know, I make up a price list that would go to the gallery and would go in my own records.
0: So what about uh, framing?
1: Okay, yeah, I with the paintings I do on panel, the only ones that I would frame would be the very smallest ones. And I don't even do that. On a regular basis, there are some nice frames kind of um made for wood panels that you can just sort of float the wood panel in into the frame, and sometimes with a small work that's that's helpful. it really sets it off. The larger ones never need a frame, and you know occasionally if if a client or a gallery specifically requests it, I will finish the sides of the panel with something like stain or varnish but typically i just sand the sides and make the make sure they're nice and clean and that's it so again many artists do different things to the to the edges of wood panels and i don't paint on canvas because of the cold wax medium requires a more rigid support so i always have this boxy object right (laughs) anyway i also do works on paper and those those would require framing and you know I, I I would either take it to a framer or I would buy I would use sizes of paper that could fit into ready-made frames and then just get something from an art supply company that was a nice quality frame and put it in that and there's there's another option what? too with with um with works on paper, you can adhere them to a wooden panel, and that's another thing it's covered in in the book the book that jerry and i wrote the The, the cold wax medium book um we talk about you know how to mount paper onto a wood panel that's that's a good option because some sometimes having that glass in between the painting and the viewer is not a good thing it's reflective
0: well uh i think that that uh about wraps up this episode of the messy studio Uh, You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook. You can also find public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Uh, Make sure to check out www.coldwaxbook.com and www.rebeccakroll.com and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment and a bit of sound advice. Uh, Be sure to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, and uh, leave us a rating and a uh, review. Uh, in the meantime...
1: As always, embrace your creative space.
0: messy or otherwise.
1: Bye now.